FF. This is the only making waves there is anywhere. It's right here in WJ, at, at WJFF on your community radio station. So if you appreciate it, call now, 845-482-4141. And, and just like, I'd be remiss if I did not say something regarding the founder of a radio station, mm-hmm. Ann Larson, who sends us material to, to go through the, all the PSAs and stuff like that to mm-hmm. wh- how we choose the topics. And so a big thank you to Ann Larson. Yeah, Ann, Ann is a uh, volunteer who receives the public service announcements, and then she makes recommendations to us often uh, about what might make a good interview and a good segment. Good. It's great to thank have you. Ann involved with the station. Absolutely. Again, the number is 845-482-4141. Give us a call. And are we going to go right now to uh, Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artel? Yes, we will. Okay. And here comes Sabrina. Thank you for listening to WJFF during our fun drive. If you've been thinking about making a contribution of two, three, even $500 or more, consider challenging your fellow listeners to match your contribution. Challenge pledges are a huge boost during our on-air drives. They get folks calling in. So if you have the ability to challenge other listeners, please do it now. Call 845-482-4141 to make your challenge pledge. Thanks. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Candy. It's the season of an avalanche of the sweet stuff and my downward spiral towards the enticing treats. For today's Trailer Talk, please join the candy historian Beth Kimmerly as we talk about the history of candy in the United States. Space sticks, Abba Zabba, Smarties, Fondant, chocolate, chocolate bars, confections. Do you have a favorite candy? What is it about candy anyway? Candy. Beth Kimmerly says in response to the economic times we find ourselves in that people like to feel comfortable in uncertain economic times. Things from the past are somehow more reliable. Oompa, loompa, loompa doo I've got the perfect puzzle for you. Oompa, loompa, doompa If you are wise, you'll listen to me. Eating as much as an elephant eats What are you at getting terribly fat? What do you think will come of that? I don't like the look of it Oompa Loompa Loompa Dee Da If you're not greedy you will go far Are you Beth? I am. 
Oh, you're the candy woman. I am the candy woman. You have a book coming out. I do. It's, um, it's about the history of American candy. I had worked for a candy company called Fannie Mae Fannie Farmer, uh, and I did something called product development. And I just fell in love with all the iconic packaging and the histories of these candy companies. As well as I saw a trend, a lot of these companies were getting bought up by bigger companies like Hershey's and M&M Mars. I sort of wanted to tell their stories. Now, how far back do these candies go that, that you're writing about? Well, you take a company like, say, Necco. Are you familiar Necco with Necco Wafers. Mm -hmm. And Necco now owns... Let's see, Mary Jane and uh, Clark Bars and a bunch of old kind of classic American candy brands. And they actually go back to the um, 1840s, 1850s. That, that is, Necco wafers are the oldest American candies. They are. Uh, it, packaged candies. And who owns them now? Um, it's, it's still New England Confectioner Company. It's... Um, it's uh, you know sort of a, a it's not family owned anymore, but it's still privately owned and privately owned. And where are they from? What part of the country? Did Boston, they? Massachusetts. In fact, they've got a, a beautiful big old factory uh, just outside of Cambridge. It's beautiful. So most of the candies that you're writing about that have these histories, would you say that they they're still around? I do have a section that's called Gone but Not Forgotten. And I cover the candies that are no longer available, but that we fondly remember. And I did that because there's so many, I guess, classics that, that I call sort of like the James Deans of candy because they, they died sort of an, an early death, but they were, they were really wonderful. What would some of those be? Well, let's see. From my generation, I'd say the most popular are Wacky Packages and Marathon Bars. Um, there's, there's candies like the Chicken Dinner Candy Bar, which was very, very popular. Where are you from? I'm from the Chicagoland oh, area. because I'm not familiar with okay. those candies at all, and I grew up on the West Coast. Okay. Um, actually, you'll remember, and these are still made, you'll remember um, Big Honk and Rocky Road from, from the West Coast. That, that They're featured in the book as well. But um, back to candies that are no What about longer. Space Sticks? Do you know about Space I Sticks? I do. Thank goodness, because I have I asked so many people if they grew up with space sticks. And I remember them when I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. And it was such an excitement because of everything that had been happening with the space program. Exactly, exactly. And those were those had a short life to them. And I... Um, I can't remember off the top of my head who produced them, but it was, they were, there was a whole series of uh, kids' foods and, and kids' packaged items that were sort of piggybacking on the, on the space program. So, and space sticks were, were sort of the precursor to um, that world of uh, Zots and Pop Rocks, oh, in my right. mind. You know, oh, they were sort yes. of like along those same lines. They were marketed... I believe at the time as also an energy candy. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it even was before we had all of these sorts of pseudo fitness bars and things like that. I talk about that a lot in the book because this this candy bar that I mentioned earlier, the chicken dinner, was actually invented um, during the depression when candy was cheap, it was five cents, and you'd get usually about four ounces of, in a candy bar. Now, if you can imagine it, an average candy bar today is, is between one and two ounces. 
So that was a real kind of hefty, you know, um, uh, piece of candy for five cents. And a lot of these candies were named after like wholesome meal sounding, you know, dishes like chicken dinner and Denver sandwich. So what was chicken dinner candy like? It's very hard to imagine. Well, it had no chicken content in it whatsoever. And it had more of a nougat and some peanuts. And then it was covered or enrobed, as they call it in the candy industry, in, in chocolate. Mm. Um, fans say, I've never tasted one because I'm too young to remember them, but fans say that that was one of the most delicious candy bars ever. And I tried to under, uncover um, what it was about that piece that, that people really liked. And I think it's because it was never produced on a really large scale. It was always sort of had that homemade uh, candy taste to it. So it was always fresh, you know. There's nothing worse than going into a place that doesn't regularly sell a lot of candy and you eat a piece of candy that you know has been sitting right, around it's stale. and it's stale and it's not that fresh and you'll never eat that piece again. How are you defining candy in your book and, and, and you know, the, the, the types of candy that you decided to write about? I, I, I set up a criteria because obviously there's so, there's so much candy out there um, and candy is different in Europe. The, the, the term candy or sweets is different sort of everywhere. So my criteria was I wanted to first of all talk, talk about companies and the, and the candies they produce but I wanted these companies to have been around for several generations, have produced a candy that was signature um, and, and, and packaged, so not, a, not necessarily a candy retailer, but uh, a manufacturer that got a candy out to the world in a, in a beautiful, iconic package that was recognizable for generations. Um, but as far as the candy itself, I really widened the scope there. I wanted to cover not only candy necklaces and lollipops, but also candy bars and um, and and you know rat taffies and, and caramels and all of that. And I'm actually working on a book that um, gets a little bit more specific. And I'd be also quite interested in any sort of shift in trend towards the kinds of candies that are popular at any given time to what's happening mm -hmm. with, within the larger society mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. but really also what is the, the change in packaging and marketing mm -hmm. for candies. The Necco you mentioned being the oldest candy produced out of Boston in the United States is a sugar candy and I'm also wondering what the trends are. There's a couple different things to talk about there. I think as far as packaging, you know, you, you, you do get um, technology that allows candy be, to be wrapped in different ways. Um, Neko wafers are still wrapped very closely to how they were wrapped. In that wax uh, paper, in the, Yeah, they really. call it a vellum or a, a, a wax paper. And um, the candy itself can be wrapped like that because it, it can stay fresh for a long time. It's got a long shelf life, as they say in the industry. But I don't know if you've noticed how a Hershey bar is wrapped these days. It's not. Do you remember back in the day it was wrapped in foil and then slipped into a into a, a, a wrapper, sleeve, a sleeve. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's wrapped completely in plastic. Um, it sealed is sealed in plastic, which is really disappointing. Oh, well, that is. Really when did that happen? Just recently, oh, in the last couple months. Oh, okay, yeah. because. Yeah. I haven't bought one in the last couple of months or even looked at one, but not that long ago they were still in the sleeve. Mm -hmm. And that was a big move for them, and they say it was it was because, you know, they, these, these companies tend to um, lose control once their product is out in, in the retail environment, and they don't want people to have a, a, a piece of candy, experience a piece of candy that's not fresh or at its best. And so, but, you know, for uh, those of us who sort of remember this 
ritual, if you will, of unwrapping. Exactly, unfolding. Unfolding. And gosh, I can remember taking the sleeve off and then you'd be left with a foil and you'd eat half and then sort of fold over the foil and kind of, you know, save the rest Mm -hmm. for later. And so it's this sort of, um, you know, preservation technique. And so it's just, it's a very, candy changes. And I I was just recently talking to somebody who works for a gum company and they produce a, a gum called chiclets. I chiclets. love chiclets, Classic. especially the little ones. Mm-hmm. The little one, but the, there was packaging in the '70s and early '80s. They came in, I guess it was a little bit larger than um, than say a baseball card, and it had a window in it, and you could see the little yes. specks of gum sort of floating along, around in the window. And so, it not only was this candy, it became this little mini diorama. Exactly. Of, of, you know, it was like a snow globe or something of candy. And um, they just reformulated those um, uh, with sort of exotic fruit flavors to sort of tap into the Hispanic market. So you were talking about how does, you know, how does packaging change, and uh, you know yes. how do how do flavors change to sort of, um, you know, piggyback on what's what's trending or what's happening in culture. And you know, those are two examples of 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 stuff changing subtly but but definitely changing and 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 candy is really interesting i think as far as um you know looking back through the wrappers i've got a snickers uh box from like 1940 and the changes that have have taken place are really subtle like if somebody picked up a snickers bar it's still the same snickers wrapper packaging feel that it was from 1940 but they're they're there's awfully soft and subtle changes Wrigley has been known to keep their, their, their just tweak their packaging. Well, Wrigley changed just recently, recently. just recently. But ever, you know, they're, they're slightly the so colors slightly. are the same, but the graphic is different. And on they have to it. be really careful that they don't. They sort of are appealing to newer to newer consumers, but also not um, scaring away people who have enjoyed it for years right. and years. So. You know, what's interesting to me is I grew up on the West Coast, and what we have here on the East Coast that. I didn't know about mm-hmm. until I got here is the uh, oh gosh now I'm not even remembering the name of it it is kind of a chewy sort of nougaty uh, uh, candy on the inside with peanuts and it has chocolate on the outside Goldenberg's peanut chew exactly yeah. mm-hmm. we don't have those on the west coast no you don't those um, those are regional you know there's there's several um, there's several sort of pockets where candy manufacturing uh, um, occurred or took, t- you know, t- sort of um, took place, and I'd say Boston was a big epicenter for candy. Chicago, Pennsylvania, with Hershey. With Hershey, yes. Um, and then you had a a huge um, a huge group of of people who were making candy in in Northern California, many of whom can sort of date their candy history back to, uh, you know, Europe, their European ancestors coming over for the gold rush. So when you say candy. Because uh, we're talking about packaged candies, really mm-hmm. single-serving sorts of things that you might pick up mm-hmm. at the bus station or at the checkout line or the subway or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, are you including at all, let's say, C's candy, which would be chocolatiers out of not California? Not in this, not in okay. this book. I, I plan to sort of hone in on on chocolate because cho- American chocolate's got a very very interesting history of companies like. Bakers and like we talked about earlier, Hershey and the Girardellis on the West Coast, and even this. There's a company out of uh, San Francisco called uh, Guitard. Um, they have fascinating histories. Well, and also what's fascinating is with Scharfenberger now mm. out of Northern California, mm. really how they were able to capture a portion of a market that 
was very much dominated by older companies. I agree. I agree, and they're doing a wonderful job. And you know, I, w I would consider that sort of you know uh, very high end um, boutique chocolate, and it's beautiful in taste. Well, I only wish you had brought some candy <laughs> into the trailer. I I'm okay. So going back though, then you were mentioning regions of the country where candies are coming from. So mm -hmm. you mentioned Chicago, Boston, you then mentioned Northern California. Northern California. So what, if you were to name after Necco, mm -hmm. some of the, the oldest candies that we still have, what would they be? Um, Tootsie Roll uh, has, has many brands that are classic, classic, not only the Tootsie Roll piece, but they now own Charms, uh, which makes Charms lollipops, Blow Pops, this falls under that Charms um, umbrella. Um, Tootsie Roll is also uh, the owner of um, Andy's Mints. I don't know if any of these ring a bell for you, being a... Well, Tootsie's. Tootsie certainly, certainly does, yeah. That's and a, that's Blow a, Pops and, you know, all of those that's things. A, that's a classic. Also out of Chicago is a company that's it's now called Jelly Belly, but for many, many years was called Golitz, and they've they've made candy for over a hundred years. Um, we're actually known for their candy corn, or in, in the industry that piece is called a mallow, a mallow cream, um, sort of a fondant piece. Um, and actually, before they came up with this uh, exotically flavored jelly bean. They were, they were really struggling as a candy company, and, and their story is really wonderful because um, somebody came to them and, and had an idea for a jelly bean that was a little smaller in scale and a little bit more uniquely flavored, and they, they sort of emerged out of this, um, this, this, this rut of making the same old stuff, and, and now you know, have one of the most successful candy companies in that's the United States. That's so interesting. States. You mentioned mallow cups because that that's a candy. They have it covered in chocolate, right? Yeah, a, ma a mallow cream is different than a mallow cup. A mallow cup is actually sort of a marshmallow center in a cup, much like a Reese's peanut butter cup. But then there's a there's a specific piece called a mallow cup out of Altoona, Pennsylvania. Okay, that's it's it's kind of a it, it's not marshmallow based. It's a creamy, sugary. It's a creamy. It's almost it's almost a marshmallow. The sans, the fluff, I guess, mm -hmm. but it's the same idea, and it's it's made by this company called Boyer. Company called Boyer. Um, they've been around, gosh, since the 30s. The two brothers that started it sold their um, their candy to carnivals and such during the Depression for extra income. Well, now that's very interesting because I only find that if I'm you know crossing the country, going let's say from the East Coast to the West Coast, and I couldn't even tell you what state I'll find it in, but I'll go to the gas station and there they are mm -hmm. on the shelf. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a rare one. In fact, the, the latest um, owner of that company, it was family owned for a bunch of years, and then, and then another family took it over, and um, he uh, unfortunately recently died, and so it's gone through a few hands. So it's out of production for a while, but just came back in. Right. And Almost so is it possible that I came across it in Ohio? Sure. Yeah. Because it feels like I was maybe in that part of the country. Yeah, because it's out of that sort of western Pennsylvania area, and so you know, there's a there's there's a similar piece um, called a Vallow Milk. Uh, which is out of Miriam, uh, Kansas, and it's that same sort of runny marshmallow center. Um, the, Russ Sivers family owned this company since, again, since like the 30s. Um, somebody bought bought their company out, and he uh, he moved on to other business. But then one day, you know, right before I was going to retire, found his family's old copper candy making pots and said, you know what? It's time to make that piece of candy again. He 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 actually felt like he had candy in his blood. He was um, 
He was adopted, and, and um, instead of taking him home from the uh, adoption agency, his parents brought him to the candy factory in an Easter basket. Oh, he was, he was adopted on Easter, so he's now sort of a lot of a lot of people are sort of reviving this old time candy. There's what sort of candy do you make? All candy. All candy. Yeah, I started out. Um, I started out simply with you know caramels and fudges, stuff that I thought was easy to make, but. Um, I make great nougat. I make um, truffles. Well, you're going to see me at your table in a little bit. Please come by. Please come by. <laughs> that would be great. So before we finish, if you could tell me the name of your book mm -hmm. and who the publisher is. Sure. It's called Candy, The Sweet History by Beth Kimmerly. The publisher is Collector's Press, and it's available on Amazon.com. Thank you so much. You mentioned your own interest in trying to find out the histories of these candies. What surprised you the most in your research? I have to say what surprised me the most was the candy industry is, itself is unlike any other sector of business. It's it's like a little family. Um, and I was, I was surprised by... In what kind I, of way? Because if you think of Hershey or, you know, which is a huge which it's, corporation. It's a, it's a huge company, but it's also... Um, People who have worked for Hershey's have sort of grown up in the world of candy. It's a very tight-knit community, and the one reason that I was sort of allowed a peek under under the veil, I think, is because I, I came from the candy industry and I, I knew some of the players, but there's still this Willy Wonka vibe out there. I was just watching Willy Wonka yeah. last night, yeah. which is very funny. Well, you know, there's something about candy, of course, which is so nostalgic, is such a reminder of our past, our youth, of good times, of celebration. You know, it's sweet. It's exactly. Uh, in the most primary way, it, it's something that's very fun. It's very fun. I can't tell you how many people come up to me and just say, oh my gosh, that's the greatest subject. And I remember, and do they still make? I hear that all the time. And it really, I can't, I can't say that I'd like to be doing anything else. It's really enjoyable. Well, I really uh, look forward to visiting you at your table. And thank you so much for telling us about your book. Of course. Thanks for having me in. Come on by for some truffles. Thank you. Okay. Is, is that some of your candy? No, this is a pumpkin, some pumpkin um, uh, cream cheese. Oh, is that from the bake off? This is from the, the bake off. Oh, that sounds great. I'll leave it with you. Oh, thank you. I'll take it out of this it's shroud. Yum. Yeah, I'd give that an A. Okay. I'll see Thanks you in a bit. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Beth Kimmerly is a candy and chocolate historian. She is an expert in the field and has been a consultant with the confectionery industry. In addition to making them herself and leading workshops, she has also curated exhibits about the history of candy and chocolate and has also consulted with creating candy museums throughout the world. That just sounds like an incredible job. I want to know how you get a job like that. She is also the author of four books, Chocolate, The Sweet History, Blomer, An American Chocolate Legacy, Real Candy, Scrumptious Sweets Made with Selective Sugars, and Chocolate, and Candy, The Sweet History. Take a sunrise, Who can take a sunrise? sprinkle it with dew.
This is a recipe from Beth's wonderful blog for Honey Nougat, a personal favorite of mine. She writes, Although Nougat has a few aliases, it has many admirers. It's also known as Nuga Nugati, Tarone, or Turan. And it is the nutty cousin of Marshmallow. And like marshmallow, it can also take the form of a confectionery spread or a filling. Most countries or regions produce a specialized version. Some nougat recipes use small pieces of dried fruits along with the nuts. Middle Eastern versions tend to be cooked longer, thereby creating a crunchier candy, while others contain chocolate or cocoa powder. In the United States, nougat is highly whipped and added to candy bars to give them heft and height as the candy takes on the distinct notes of the bee's habitat. A wildflower honey nougat made with fresh roasted nuts has incredible flavor. The last time I made a batch of nougat, I used a lavender honey. The crowds went crazy. Nougat is much loved in Southern Europe, where most agree it originated. 
Nougat is much loved in Southern Europe, where most agree it originated. It is also a perennial holiday favorite. The small treats are miniature gifts of snow landscapes. They are perfect. And here is her recipe. A half cup confectioner's sugar for dusting, four cups almonds chopped, one cup shelled pistachios chopped, nine ounces of honey, one and a half cups granulated sugar, a quarter cup water, two large egg whites, room temperature, and a pinch of salt. Oompa, loompa, doompa doo I've got the perfect puzzle for you. Oompa, loompa, doompa dee If you are wise, you'll listen to me. What do you get when you guzzle down sweets? Eating as much as an elephant eats. What are you at getting terribly fat? What do you think will come of from the kitchen table out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. To find out more about Beth Kimmerly, please go to www.bethkimmerly.com. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power, the hit crew, Oompa, L- <laughs> Oompa Loompa, and the Candyman. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artel with assistant producer Babe Howard. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels. Join me, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg, for a special edition of Let's Talk Vets, October 30th at 7 p.m. We'll listen to some outtakes from some past programs and tell you about some future shows. It'll be a great way for you to learn about our program, our mission, and how you can become part of our broadcast family. That's Let's Talk Vets right here on Radio Catskill, WJFF, your community radio station.